Man, it's a delight to stand and to, to preach God's word to you all this morning. Thanks for the warm welcome. Uh, it is also uh, brings about great nervousness uh, to stand before you uh, to teach and to preach God's word. And that feeling uh, never changes, at least not, not for me. So we'll pray. And then this morning we get to continue uh, our, our time together uh, in Second. Samuel uh, this morning, and that's where we are. If you're a first-time listener with us, we've been working through that uh, as a faculty this, uh, this year. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the text, simply looking at uh, the idea uh, that God raises up the faithful and tears down uh, the faithless. Would you pray with me? Uh, God, you are in the heavens, and you do whatever you please. And that is a sweet reminder for each of us this morning. God, how marvelous, fabulous, and awesome, and breathtaking you are to, as we have already sing about this morning, take the mess and wreckage of our lives and still call us to you. Take the sins that we have committed and nail them to a cross so that we can be purified, made new, and then worship and adore you for that truth. That is good news from my heart this morning. Father, it is good for us to gather together, Father. And I ask right now that your spirit would rest in us, that it would rule in us, Father, that you would govern every word that comes from my mouth. God, I believe you are sitting and looking and watching. Oh, man, that's weighty. So let me deal with the weightiness of these truths. God, let me encourage our hearts this morning to live faithful lives. Let me point to the exclusivity of your son, Jesus Christ, living a faithful life. Let me do what the text does for us, that is warn us and threaten us and show us the consequences when we live faithless lives. And try to do things our own way. God, let that not be true of us. God, govern my heart this morning. Fill me now with your sweet power. And dad, I'll be careful to give you all praise and glory. I know I'm dust. And I know I'm not needed. So thank you for allowing me to steward these few minutes with other image bearers right now. This prayer I ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. And we get to pick up or continue on this morning in 2 Samuel. Uh, David, big picture idea here. David, we're about to hear now in the text, is about to mourn Saul. He's He's about to mourn Saul. And we have to know what brings David to this point of mourning Saul. Of course, death is inevitable for us, all except for a few that were taken up to heaven without having to taste and experience death, we will all die. That will be the end uh, for all of us. But between now and the day that we die, we can either live faithful lives toward God or we can live faithless lives. And so David gives us a sweet reminder and a sweet warning of how to live a faithful life towards God. Let's check out the text here. 2 Samuel chapter 1 
verses 17 to 27 for your, for your hearing. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar, he said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. You, your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Oh man, this is David's uh, lament. And so again, I come with you with a key takeaway here. God raises up the faithful and he tears down the faithless. I have to think, uh, you know, Dr. Ferguson and Dr. Sheriff helped me think through this. Dr. McCartney and Dr. Estes for helping me think through this passage. Uh, often, uh, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm just thinking about preaching, and I try to prepare weekly to do that, uh, there's, there's a few words that I write at the top of my, of my notes, and it is live the text. Right, not just preach the text, but live the text. And so for the last 25 years of my life, my wife has been trying to teach me how to live this text, how to properly lament and feel deep pain and sorrow for people. And so if you've ever had an inclination of me being or experiencing sorrow with you or lamenting with you or grieving with you, it's simply because my wife has been trying to teach me how to do this for 25 years. And I'll tell you this, she has successfully taught my son and daughters how to lament and weep properly. When KJ was younger, he's not here right now, but when he was younger, she, she had this little, this, this emotion book. And I'm like, he does not need an emotion book. Boy, did he need an emotion book. <laughs> because she would, oh, she said, I need the emotion book. <laughs> I still need help with the emotion book or the emotion wheel. And she'd be reading this book to him talking about like, this is what it means to be sad. And here's what it means to be happy. And here are the things we grieve over. And here are the things that make us lonely. And I'm like, he doesn't need that. But I'll tell you this, this has to be taught. Right? So Saul is saying, teach this. 
and it has to be taught to all of us. And I have to admit, sadly, KJ is so much farther along in his connectivity and his reception of connecting with himself than I even stand here before you today because he's been taught, he's been taught this uh, from, from, from very young, from a youth. And so as you're thinking through how to deal with lamentation, a book and an idea that's not covered nearly enough, I don't think, in the life of teaching and preaching, and how to rightly lament things. And here is David, one of the greatest kings to ever live, the apple of God's eye. We're going to see him now in a moment in his life. Show us what it means to lament. Show us what it means to grieve because we know that as Christians, every moment is not a joy-filled moment. So what do we do when moments are not joy-filled? Well, there's an answer here. What do we do when life is perplexing? Well, there is an, there's an answer here for us. And David shows us, he models for us how to do this in this passage. Now, also, we have to also keep in mind what brings David to this point of lament is Saul's faithlessness. That should bring all of us to a moment of lament. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. It grieves my heart saying those words because I have brothers and sisters and friends that have fallen, that stood, that were in all earthly sense mighty. Teaching and preaching and proclaiming God's word only to stumble and fall. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. So I want to give you some warnings and ways that we can alleviate this being said of us. Listen very quickly. In verses 116, we see the pros. We see David, David getting the news of this horrible situation that has happened to Saul and to his dear friend, Jonathan. And then in verses 17 to 27, we see David, musically gifted, poetically gifted, he begins to write. He just writes a song. All right, I love listening to many of my my favorite songwriters that talk about like the highs and lows of moments of the life. They're like, this song was written at this moment. I'm like, oh man, thank you for blessing us. I hate that you had to grieve, but thank you for those words. And here we get this song now. We see that David respected Saul in verses 17 to 27. We'll see several inclinations of that. We even see that in verses 1 to 16 because the man that brings David the bad news, he put to death. I don't want to hear that. This man thought he was bringing David some good news. (laughs) Like, hey, Saul is dead. Now, finally, you get to be king. He's been trying to kill you for maybe close to 10 years. And David said, I don't want to hear that. Like, bad news. You should not have laid your hand against the Lord's anointed. Come to find out he was not the killer anyway, and the man died for lying. (laughs) Note to self, don't lie. (laughs) Now, the original audience would have received this text. All right, so David gives some clear implications. Sing this new song. Sing this new song. All of Israel would have been shaken by the death of such a mighty king. We learned some beautiful things about God here. One, that God is faithful. We learned that God will not be mocked. We learned also that God will not be made a liar. He told Saul. He warned him, do the things that are right. Do the things that you're called to do as king unless the throne will be taken from you. That's a warning to all of us. Do what is right unless positions will be taken from us. 
What do we learn about man in this text? We learn that our days are filled with complexities. We learn that Saul's days were filled with complexities. We learn that David's days were filled with complexities. We learn that our days are filled with joy and pain and sorrow and grief and despair and weeping. And we also learn that our days are also filled with hope. Every day you live as a Christian is not a joy-filled day, and that's okay. That's okay. And then we'll see that this text demands of us to live righteously. Structurally, I think I was here uh, preaching uh, Hannah's song uh, last semester. We see that this book, these books are, are kind of bookend by some ideas. One, Hannah's song. Then we get David's lament here. And then we have a couple of other laments from David we'll see later on in 2 Samuel chapters, uh, chapters 22 and 20 and 23. Now let's turn our attention to these few verses. Verse 17. And David lamented. Dr. Tony Evans says this, Lamentations is a poetic expression of the pain of sin's consequences. It is a reminder of God's covenantal kingdom sanctions. Namely, sin brings pain and tears, but God is always ready to show mercy when we repent and return to him. So David, experiencing the pain of sin's consequences, laments. Dr. Glenn Pacquiao says this of Lamentations. Five things he says. Number one, lamentation is a form of praise. We'll see that as we make our way through this text. Number two, we see that lamentation is a proof of relationship. It's a proof of relationship. A third thing, we see that lamentation is a pathway to intimacy with God. We get to cry before him and lay before him and weep before him. We see that prayer, we see that, I'm sorry, lamentation is, is a prayer for God to act and for God to move. And fifthly, we see that lamentation is participation in the pain of others. It is a lament in the form of a praise. It is proof of a relationship. It is a pathway to intimacy. It is prayer for God to act. It is participation in the pain of others. David says this, and David lamented over Saul and Jonathan. What I think is awesome here, he said, not only should this be taught, David also wanted this song sang. Now, if you just trace your hand back a little bit to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 and, 16, 6 and 7, you see this. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul had struck down his thousands and David is how many? His ten thousands. And so I suspect this is the song that has been sang time and time again. And I can't help but to think this song has been remixed a couple of times. David his ten thousands. And now David in his humility says, here is a new song for the daughters of Israel to sing. And it goes like this. 
And then he tells them, he teaches them the song to sing in the right way to weep and to mourn and to lament. Now this text is bookended and sprinkled in the middle with a statement that I hopefully you heard me read, how the mighty have fallen. We see this in verse 19. We see this again in verse 25. We see it again in verse 27. I suspect that on David's mind as he's writing this song is, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Verse 19 and 20. Your glory, O Israel, is slain on the high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, let the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. Now here's what David didn't know, or maybe he already knew this. They're already rejoicing. They're already rejoicing. The party is already taking place. But David doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear them singing these types of songs. That is nonsense. How many of y'all have a favorite sports team? You do. The idea of your favorite sports team, like, like losing a game and then having to hear your opponent boast over the fact that they beat you, you just don't want to hear it. I know those from, let me not say sports team's names. I don't want y'all to get distracted. It was a couple of games this past weekend. <laughs> I see some heads nodding here. Some teams that lost, they don't want to hear about the ball game. Why? Because hearing about the ball game brings about pain and sorrow and aches and they don't want to think about these other teams rejoicing and celebrating. I don't want to hear it. Saul's faithlessness. Here we go. Brings about embarrassment and shame and we see that in verses 19 and 20. You see, every single one of your actions, particularly sinful actions, are connected to the greater body of Christ. And here David is grieving the fact that Saul's faithlessness brought them to this point. And here we are singing this song. The uncircumcised women are singing this song, exulting over the fact that Saul is now dead. Verse 21. You mountains, O Geboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offspring. From there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the, f- the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. And it, this is, these are the kind of things I think you say in grief. You know, my wife lost her mother. My wife has lost a mentor. I've been around people who've lost people. And they say things like, I don't want to hear anything. Don't talk to me. Food doesn't taste the same. I have zero energy. I'm not connected. I'm not processing. I'm not functioning. You know, hopefully all, yeah, all, this, all this stuff is nonsense. And I heard David is saying, let the fields no longer produce anything. I'm so grieved right now. That hill is now cursed. Let nothing grow on it. No rain, nor dew. You may think that's out of bounds, but it is not for people that are grieving. Like, I don't want, it, no, no good can ever come from that hill again. Now, now, some of us have places and things that bring about deep hurt and deep grief and grief and deep pain. Maybe it's a restaurant or it's the smell of a perfume or it's the smell of a cologne. You say, hey, these things now make me nauseous. Here David is saying, I don't want to think about the hill. Let that field produce nothing. Now, here is something that I think is fitting. This is, this is like, like, like chatting up with my friends. For the shield of the mighty was defiled. It would have been defiled because uncircumcised people had, had touched this shield. Now, David is a poet. He's a musician. He's working musically through these ideas. And he said, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. 
A young man I know, B.J. Wright, preached a sermon not too long ago. Uh, a young man I mentor, uh, he preached a sermon not too long ago talking about what it means for the head to be anointed with oil. And I'm just wondering now, David has a little wordplay here saying, had Saul been anointed and followed the anointed that he was anointed with, he would not be in this position today. He had forsaken the intimacy with God for stuff. And I think that grieves David. Maybe he's also saying that had his shield been rightly anointed with oil, uh, the arrows, the fiery darts and the arrows could have naturally been deflected from Saul's armor. At any rate, David is now pinning. Saul's shield is no longer anointed with oil. Saul's life was filled with pride. Saul's life was filling with doing things that the Lord told him not to do. And here he is. God raises up the faithful and he will tear down the faithless. And here's the grief that is accompanied by that. Now here's David, again, about to point uh, to, uh, if, if, if there's any speculation right now, you know, that uh, the, day, the David wanted Saul dead, He's about to now begin to boast in Saul, which I think is simply ironic. Like he is just ushering in a whole new way to do things associated with people that want to kill you. Like these are not the words you pen about somebody who has been trying to kill you. Only a man who loves God and who is captivated by God can write words and say words like this. Here's what he says. Verse 22 and 23. Uh, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. He's basically saying, hey, these men hit their mark. They were fierce warriors. They were. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely in life and in death. They were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. They hit their target. They were fierce warriors. And what I love about David, he's been paying homage now to the difficulty that Jonathan would have had to, dealt, had to deal with. Y'all do know that Jonathan and David were almost best friends. And can you imagine your dad wanting to kill your best friend? This is, this is the case here. I love Jonathan. He is my friend. And, and Jonathan thinks, hey, you know, he knows my dad wants to kill David. And here David is pinning these words about David, about, about Saul, and about Jonathan, because he loved them both. There's no doubt in the mind, in the mind that he loved them both. Here's something, here's another note that I think is good for, listen, the faithlessness puts hostility between God's people. Saul's faithlessness made life between Jonathan and David, extremely difficult. We have to guard against that. Here's some connections here now. We're going to see this in verse 20. Now we see this in verse 24, the idea of darters. First, David talks about the darters of the uncircumcised, and now he's talking about the darters of Israel in verse 20 and 24. Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. Simply put, because of Saul's leadership in this way, uh, they were flourishing economically. He's telling the women, look at yourself. You're dressed like that because Saul was a mighty warrior. And, and, he, and, and because of the, you know, the economic prosperity, uh, we, we have things that are going extraordinarily well for us. Now, instead of David, or David could have, rather, rejoiced over the death of Saul. He did not do that. He wept 
over him. He wept over him. He lamented over the death of Saul. This is a good warning for us, you all. This is a great warning for us. We should have hearts of lamentation. We should have hearts set on weeping. Verse 25 and 26. Oh, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on you, high places. There's again a notation of the high places. I am distressed for you, my brother. He feels deep pain. Very pleasant you have been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Now, this is a, a favorite verse of people who would want to say that Jonathan and David were involved in a homosexual relationship. And I want to tell you that is, that is not the case here at all for these two men. Is homosexuality a sin? Absolutely. Do people struggle with gender identity? Absolutely. Was David a homosexual? I believe absolutely not. I believe that Jonathan and David, as written in the text, they were deep friends. Now, why would I say that? Number one, I say it because it's in the Bible. But Jonathan had saved his life. How, how much would you love a person that saved your life? Just, just how much? Would you feel like you, you owe them a sense of, of loyalty and love? And, 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 like, and, and it, maybe every moment, maybe different things would, would trigger in your mind the fact that they had saved your life? A part, of me, a part of me knows that David loved Jonathan because Jonathan had spared him. He had saved his life. Jonathan had gone against the very acts of his dad in order to save David's life. That, that's one thing that's important. The second thing, I, I allude to it a little bit, men in today's society just don't know how to love each other well. Amen. <laughs> It's like, it's like the, the, the very, I see the greatest intimacy from men in sports. <laughs> you laugh, right? Slaps on the butts, high fives, hugging each other, cheering each other on. I mean, men win divisional football games and cry. <laughs> it's football. I mean, no, listen, it, I love sports, right? I do. But it's, it's a football game. And I know there's sweat and tears and practice and injuries and all those things, but it's football. I see more men weeping over NCAA games and football games than I do men in the body of Christ. Because we don't know how to do this because the world has told us that in order to embrace a brother, there must be something, some homosexual acts going on there. I think not. I think not. That's why I appreciate the young men in Alpha Chi. Those young men model love, deep love and compassion for one another. No homosexual intent there. And those young men, they call, they check in on each other, they love each other well, they weep with each other, they serve my family, they probably served your family well. And the intent is simply because I love you deeply, my brother. I want the freedom to hug Scott Long without somebody thinking he and I are gay, right? <laughs> My wife said, we ain't gay. <laughs> and she, <laughs> Scott's bride is sitting down there too, and she's like, he ain't either. <laughs> I want the freedom to hug Jeremy Kimball 
you know, and just, and just love and just, to, and just to hold him and to weep with him and to cry with him. There's people thinking, oh, oh, they, 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 must, oh, they must be a little. No, we just share love for one another. Y'all listen. Oh, some years ago, my wife and we, we moved into the first house uh, in Louisville and, and, and a dear friend of mine, Ryan McCoy, He's a principal. Y'all pray for him. He's a principal of the public school, just pressing in, doing the things of God down there. If you think about it, make a note. Um, and so uh, we're like walking through the new neighborhood where, where we just built a house. And, uh, and at the time, we had two little dogs. We had uh, 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 Duchess and Delight. No, Duchess and Daisy. Uh, <laughs> you see how much I love them, right? <laughs> they were they were, two, they were those, these little Yorkie Poodle Maltese mixed things, right? And so, and so he's like 6'1", 2-something, and here I am. I don't know how tall I am or whatever. We're walking these dogs. <laughs> I'm short, and I'm thinking, okay, we're walking these dogs in this neighborhood, and, and people are just waving. <laughs> and so he and I are walking. Now, listen, he and I, I'm like, I said, hey, dude. I said, they probably think we gay. I said, man. I, let me, I said, this is just my friend, right? We, here we are with our little, two little dogs. You may, let me get back to the text. You may think I'm being, <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Uh, and, and neither is that like a stereotypical homosexual comment. I'm simply saying, because me and my friend were walking these little dogs, I think people were alluding to the fact that, welcome to the neighborhood. And I'm like, no. He's been my friend since we were 15. We worked at KFC together. We, he's loved me. We served each other well. We went to college together. We did all of our degrees together. He is the brother that I love. He's the brother that I trust my children with, my wife with, my all with. And I love him deeply. And we will also see, I think David puts any doubt uh, that he uh, fancied men because he would stumble time and time again with the sexual restraint towards women. I don't want to make light of his issues, but I do want to say one of the, he is plagued by too many wives and, and not loving and being faithful to the Lord and Lord our God alone. So listen, brothers, let's love each other well. Listen, sisters, let's give our brothers the freedom to love each other well. We can put all the, the nonsense that this is the beginning or this is like, ah, it's here. Homosexuality is okay. No, because we also check that against every other thing in the Bible that God says about these types of relationships. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And again, in verses 25 and 26, there's a particular paying attention to Jonathan because of the way they lived together and the way they loved one another. But oh, how the mighty have fallen. So now the question becomes for us, how do we keep from falling? And maybe that's a question that you've been thinking about right now. How do, how do we keep from falling? Well, I'll tell you this, uh, you have an enemy and he would love to kill you and destroy you. He would love for you never to be launched out to make your boast as a social worker or an educator or a civil engineer or a nurse or a nurse or, or anything. 
So what do we do? What do we do? Here, here are three verses that I'll give to you. They're familiar passages, but I think these will remind us of some ways that we keep from falling. First Peter 5, 8. How do we keep from falling? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sober-minded, watchful. Prepare your minds for action, sober-minded, hope in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 6. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 and 6. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Sober-minded, watchful, prepared for action, sober-minded, hope on God, not sleeping. Be faithful. Our president has told us, no Bible, no breakfast. That's a great way to be faithful. Find a local church. Be faithful to the local church. Find a small group. Be faithful in your small group. Get in the discipleship groups. Be, be faithful in the discipleship groups. And if you know uh, that someone has experiencing a lament, and like they're disconnected because of that, then reach out to them. Love them well. Spend time with them. Chase after them so that their heart can once again be filled with great joy. And in closing, every single passage we see points us to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Let's just do a quick, you, you, you all are here, get in the Bible, just, just do the search of, of Jesus' grief and his weeping and his mourning and, and his crying. Like just, just do a search over that, over the things that grieved him. Here David is weeping over Israel. You know, Jesus Christ himself would look and be distraught looking at Jerusalem because they did not want to hear him. We see Saul's faithlessness. We see David's faithlessness. We see Jesus Christ's faithfulness being the complete payment for our sins, doing what David failed to do as a king and Saul failed to do as a king and every. Every, every other king failed to do when they were king. Jesus Christ did not fail in his job. Jesus Christ showed us how to lament. He also showed us how to have friends. He showed us how to love the brothers that he walked this earth with. He showed us what it was like by serving them by washing their feet, by feeding them and nurturing their physical bodies and their spiritual bodies. Jesus Christ modeled for us how to be friends and how to lament. And more than anything, he showed us that God will be faithful to those who are faithful to him. I'll say this in closing. Dr. Miller was preaching last week, uh, closing down 1 Samuel. And he said, 
uh, if you want to develop spiritual depth, and then he went back through and reworded this a couple of times. He said, you have to embrace the hard times. And I think here, uh, in, this song, in, in this lament, 2 Samuel, we see David simply embracing the hard times. Uh, don't run for them. Uh, you know, many people in the Bible, most people in the Bible didn't ask the Lord to take them out of the hard times. He simply said, keep me while I'm in the hard times. And here we see this again uh, with David. Loving the Lord, blessing the Lord, acknowledging Saul even in his brokenness and showing how much he loved Jonathan as a friend. I'll tell you this, God raises up the faithful and he will tear down the faithless. Let me pray for us. God of heaven, would you please allow us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. God, would you, as these students go away to class today, that they would understand that every single class interaction and engagement, every page they turn in a book, particular in their Bible classes, is simply preparing their minds for action. So Father, would you bless the staff the faculty that are here teaching today, preparing our minds for action. <laughs> Let us prepare syllabi and the book reading list and every single lection as faculty, knowing that we are simply preparing our students for action. Let students go to class not being lazy or lethargic or being off-putting towards the academic rigor. Dad, reminding us that we are simply being prepared for action. We are in war times. So let us be sober-minded so that we don't fall, so we don't stumble. God, let us be reminded today that we are children of the light. And as darkness creeps in, in the hearts and the mind and the, the, the seductiveness of Satan encroaches in and says, come do this, come be with me in the darkness, Father. They would run and say, no, I'm a child of the light. Keep us awake. Keep us alert, please, Father, to the schemes of the enemy. Be with our president and our vice presidents and the trustees that are seeking to lead and guide. Lord, likewise, would you be with them and that we are simply preparing for action. Keep us from falling. Keep me faithful. Keep us faithful. Let not these students have to mourn for the fallenness or brokenness of any faculty and staff member in this area. Satan would love nothing more than to bring us great embarrassment and shame. But you are faithful to keep, and I want to be kept. <laughs> Father, this prayer we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You all are dismissed.